Welcome to the Go All In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and today on the show, we have Demetrius Thigpen. G'day, Demetrius. How are you today, mate? Great, Rob. Let's do it. All right, hit it. Welcome to the show today. It's my privilege to be speaking to a fellow brother in arms. Demetrius is a US Marine. And as I always say, it's an absolute pleasure to be bringing on a fellow veteran, especially one of our American brothers from the other side of the pond. As you'll hear, Demetrius has a fantastic goal in story. And you're going to leave this podcast feeling uplifted, motivated and ready to take on the world. Demetrius has an infectious demeanor. And I know you're going to absolutely love his goal in story. Now, if this is your first time here at the Go All In Show, welcome. It's great to have you here. And if you're back for more, welcome back. We love our repeat offenders here at the Go All In Podcast. Before we get into the show today, just take a little peek at your phone and hit that subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll on down and hit the subscribe button there. And don't forget to ring the bell. That way you'll always have a little bit of motivation and some Go All In love right in your pocket. Lastly, if you like what you hear today, please share this episode with your friends and your family. Demetrius has an important message to share. And if we can just help one or two people to break through their barriers and get unstuck, then we would have done our job here at the Go All In Show today. Alrighty, let's get into this. From growing up in the most dangerous part of Detroit, Michigan, to enlisting into the United States Marine Corps, Demetrius is driven by purpose and he's absolutely equipped with the experience to motivate and to help you to understand what it takes to go all in and to overcome adversity. Whether it's speaking to companies, sports teams, or school kids, Demetrius knows how to keep an audience engaged and on the edge of their seats. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Demetrius Thigpen. Well, good day, Demetrius, but I'm not going to call you that. I'm going to call you Meech. Welcome to the Go All In podcast, mate. It's great to have you here. Oh, it's great. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Well, one of my absolute favorite things to do is to talk to fellow soldiers and veterans. And as you probably know, I spent nearly 10 years in the Australian Defense Force. And it's always a pleasure to have some Marines on the show. So thank you for making the time and, and coming on and uh, sharing a bit of your uh, bit of your day with us. Always, always. I'm glad to be here, really. I'm really glad to be here. Awesome, man. Well, before we get into the, the go all in craziness that this podcast is, and it can be sometimes, I just want to get to know you a little bit. Why don't you tell our listeners and our viewers, where are you from and what you're doing now? And how, how is it that you got into what it is that you're doing? Absolutely. What's going on, everybody? It's that ordinary podcast with the extraordinary thoughts that tells you to stop being great and be extraordinary. Once again, Rob, I'm, I'm just blessed to be here, you know, coming from Detroit, Michigan. And being from Detroit, which is one of the most dangerous cities in America, for some reason, we just keep making the top 10 in the most dangerous, top 10 in murder, top 10 in this. And coming from that to where I am now is just truly a blessing. I was raised in a single parent household. I know that it didn't start off like that. I know my mother, she did the best that she could with the little that she had. But for some reason, my father's absence just wasn't there. My father was an alcoholic. He was, a, he was an addict. And I remember at eight years old, he sat me down and he explained to me that I was going to be the man of the house. And I kind of didn't understand that. I, I didn't understand what I was supposed to be doing in that, that manner. I was only eight. I had really just learned how to tie my shoes, to be honest with you. Yeah. And he left. And it was always in increments. He would leave when I was eight. He came back when I was 11. From 11, he came back when I was 13. 
13 to 15. Say he was almost like a reincurring character in a season. Mm-hmm. So growing up, I, I, we, the recession hit, we, we were poor. I'm not even like, we were so poor that we couldn't even afford the other two letters, you know, the O and the R. So we was just Poe. Yeah. And you know, my mom, she worked and I took care of my sister. We did the best that we could once again, fast forward. I ended up joining the military and of all the branches, I actually wanted to be in the Air Force. I really wanted to be in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And I find this recruiter who was in this uniform that I did not know anything about. And I just asked him, I said, I just need you to recruit me. And he recruits me. And, it, you know, we sit down, we talk. And next thing you know, I'm being shipped off to Paris Island to become a United States Marine. <laughs> Where are all the airplanes? No airplanes. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was sitting there. I was like, you know, and, and in the interview, you know, because, you know, the recruiters, you know, they do that interview with you. I sat there for about an hour listening to him. And he said, so what do you think? And I was like, how long have you been in the Air Force? He immediately got yelled at. First time I got yelled at. And I was like, well, I guess this is what we're doing. <laughs> you know, I had, I had told this story a couple of times on my podcast. Um, I had the same experience. And I've never encountered somebody that's had the same one. And how about that? You're on the other side of the planet in a different military. And the same thing happened to you. I walked into the recruiter and I said to the recruiter, I want to be in the army. I want to be a, I want to run around with a gun and kick in a door. And I grew up playing armies and doing all that sort of stuff. And the guy behind the counter, he was a Navy guy wearing a white uniform. And he goes, no, mate, you don't want to be in the army. Come and watch this video. And I sat down and I watched this video of warships and missiles and all of these really cool Navy things. And they make it look amazing. And about six weeks later, I found myself in the, in, at, at recruit school was what we call it, not boot camp. We call it recruit school. I'm looking around thinking, where are all the guns, man? It's like, <laughs> what, what, I'm in the military, you know? I thought that there would be more, like we'd be shooting. and all, But no. And, you know, in that guy's defense, he, he pegged me properly because I think I would have really struggled in the army as a young fellow. I don't think I had the maturity to, to cut it. And there's about five years later that I said, oh, my contract was up. And I said to the Navy guys, uh, look, you know, I want to do an inner service transfer to the army. And they went, no, you can't do that. You have to get out. They're all cranky with me. So I got out and I was out for about six months and I went back into the recruiting cycle. And the minute I got in there, there's these two cranky old warrant officers sitting on the other side of the desk going, what are you doing here, mate? I said, well, I tried to change over to the army when I was in the Navy and they wouldn't let me. And he's just like, you're in the next intake, get out of here. And uh, (laughs) I I was straight in and I went straight to recruit school. And the funny thing for me was I always wanted to be in the army. Right. And I got there and it was really interesting. I was there for three weeks at recruit school and it only goes for six weeks. It's pretty short. And they said, right, you can go. I said, go where? And they said, you can go off to the school of infantry now if you want. And I was like, but I, what do you mean? And I said, well, you were in the Navy for like five years. What, what do you need to be here for? And I said, oh, well, I don't even really know how to march here. You guys march <laughs> funny. You guys march differently. And like you're on your uniform differently. Do you mind if I stay? And they were like, all right. Okay. <laughs> and I literally didn't leave because I literally hadn't learned how to march. And I was like, it was completely different. The Navy was totally different to the army and both were good. You know, both were what a fabulous experience. You know, somebody is so crazy is because I told myself, because I didn't even know that there was, the America even had a Marine Corps. I did not know. <laughs> I knew that there was an Army. I knew there was an Air Force. I knew there was a Navy. And I told them, I was like, well, I'm not a strong swimmer, so I'm not going to be able to go to the Navy because if I yeah. fall off the ship, I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> and it was either the Army or the Air Force. And here I am 
in the Marine Corps office thinking to myself, like, how did I end up here? <laughs> you got to make better life choices. <laughs> it's funny when you look back at it, when it, when, at the time you don't realize what's happening. And when you fast forward and look back, it's actually pretty humorous, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. What year did you join the military? Uh, 2009. Man, right in the right at the height of all the combat in Absolutely. Iraq and Afghanistan and all that sort of stuff. What, what did your friends and family say around when you did that? Nobody supported me. Nobody supported me. And I completely understand. They were civilians. You know, they only see what the media allows them to see. You know, the war was just like we were coming in in the middle of the war when I joined. And that's, that's all everyone had known. So they were trying to talk me out of, oh, don't join, don't join. But what I didn't understand was is that they were trying to talk me out of it, but nobody had an alternative of what I could do. You know, they said, oh, you can go to college. And I was like, I don't want to go to college. Mm. I've already done 12 years of school. I don't want to do this. They said, oh, well, you know, you can stay here. I said, stay here for what? Mm. We poor. Like, like, like last time I checked, we was in the middle of a recession. This is my ticket out. And it's crazy because here I am 10 years later and I can't find anybody to talk me out of it. No. <laughs> Everybody wants me to stay now. Uh, that's, the, that's the ultimate irony, isn't it? You know, I, I think when you have like naysayers like that, the people around you that love you and care about you the most are saying, don't do that. What they're really saying, in my experience anyway, is they're saying, I don't want you to do that because I can't do that. Absolutely. And, you know, and I always tell myself, you know, and I never hold any resentment because, you know, our loved ones and our family always speak from a place of love. You know, sometimes they don't support you because of the matter of they don't want to see you get let down. They don't want to see you hurt. They don't want to see me go over there and get killed because we were seeing that on a regular basis. That was when PTSD was starting to pick up and mm. people were coming back with missing limbs and not the same person they were when they came. So they didn't want to see that. But for some reason, and I always tell people about the Cinderella story, you know, how at 12 o'clock she left that glass slipper and the prince went around the entire village to try to get that glass slipper on somebody. But for some reason, it didn't fit. But as soon as he got the Cinderella, boom, it fit perfectly. And that's a lot of times, that's our passion, that's our dreams, that's exactly what our destiny is. It ain't gonna be a perfect fit for everybody else. Everybody else ain't gonna see the vision. The fire that burns within you won't even keep them warm. So it's best for you. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Beautifully, beautifully said. Well, Mooch, thanks for sharing a little bit of uh, of your world there on the front end and that funny recruiting story. It's the same as mine. I, I kind of like that. I'm glad that it's, I'm not the only person that that happened to. I must find somebody in recruiting to talk to if that happens more often than we think. It's funny. Mate, people come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, mate, could you please share with us your biggest go all in story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success. So one of my biggest goal, go all in was um, I'm a martial arts instructor trainer within the military. So I teach combatives and I've always wanted to be a martial arts instructor, always wanted to be a martial arts instructor. I didn't want to be a martial arts instructor trainer. That's a whole different echelon. They, they martial arts, you know, the trainers teach the martial arts instructors. These people can be put in an octagon and fight for and make money for real. And I told myself, I was like, that's not what I want to do. One day I'm walking back from one of my classes and I'm minding my own business. I'm actually low on the totem pole at this time. I think I was like an E4 and only E5s and above could go to that type of course. So I knew I was safe. I knew for a fact I was safe from this type of experience. 
and the ops chief comes out and he says, does any of y'all want to go up to the, mar the, the martial arts instructor trainer course? I said, no. But the guy <laughs> next to me, I said, I was very clear on the no. I said, no. The guy next to me said, yes, louder than I said, no. He gives us two sheets and he gives us two sheets. And I put mine in my desk. I was like, well, I'm not doing that. My wife was pregnant at the time. I had already missed one of, one of the pregnancies because I was deployed the first time. So I really wanted to be there. And fast forward, for some awful reason, the guy that said yes got hurt. Now I'm the only one slated. <laughs> I said, I, I'm still saying no. I'm trying to find all other ways to get out of it. And they just, somebody said, we don't have any trainers in this battalion. You have to go. I talked to my wife and I'm thinking that she's going to talk me out of it too. Like, Hey, look, I, I'm not feeling this. I don't want to go. She's like, no, you should go. Red looks a lot better than tan. And I'm like, fine, I'm going all in. <laughs> I show up <laughs> no, no, and no pun intended. I show up, mind you, I still don't want to be there. I showed up with no paperwork and I thought that they would turn me away at the door. They said, oh, no, no, don't worry about that. You can check in here. You can go to our medical. You can go to our dental. And for seven weeks, for those next seven weeks, it was the worst days of my life. And I, I'm so blessed to have done that because I have gotten the privilege to be able to interact and change Marines' lives and be able to just do things that I never thought. And it was so crazy because I fought that for so, I fought that battle to not do it. And it ended up being one of the best things for me. Why, why didn't you want to do it? Like you're into martial arts, you like that, but you didn't want to be an instructor. Isn't that a natural progression as you kind of grow? I know, I know uh, I had my kids in martial arts for a long time. I did a lot of that stuff. And the natural progression as you're learning something is to stand in front of the class and teach the junior people how to do something. That was not something you wanted to do. It, and you know, and it, it, it was, but it wasn't in that exact moment. At the time and just, I felt like it wasn't right. I, I had just became a martial arts instructor eight months prior to them asking me about that. So I felt like I was still new in the program. Mm -hmm. I felt like I still needed a lot more time to grow and develop within the program before I would go to that echelon because I didn't want to go and still be like, you know, Nick, the new guy. And I hadn't even taught really. So I tried to explain that to everybody. Like, you know, I'm still junior in this. Like, you know, y'all are pushing me towards this, but I'm still junior. And I didn't know that I was going to take to it like a fish to water. I didn't know that this was something that I was supposed to have been done. Mm -hmm. And it was just crazy because, you know, we always fight our blessings. We always fight our blessings because they ain't perceived in a manner that we're, we want them to be. You know, we always say the time, it ain't right. This ain't right. Oh, I'm going to wait. Sometimes when opportunity knocks, it ain't going to keep knocking. It's actually going to kick the door and grab you, keep you hostage and take you to your next journey. <laughs> I know exactly how you feel about courses and doing that sort of thing. Cause in the military and anybody that's listening, um, that has not experienced the military when you get slated for a course like that whether or not whether or not you like it you're going and and i've turned up at courses before and just gone oh god oh, do i really want to do this and i've also turned up at courses and gone wow i can't wait to do this this is going to be so exciting and um i remember uh they, they my time came for a rotation they said where do you want to go you can be posted you can go i said well what are the choices where can i go you can go to the parachute school you can go to the jungle warfare training school and there was a couple of other places as well that I can't remember. And I thought, 
jungle warfare school sounds really awesome. You get to go and live on the Gold Coast um, in in Queensland, beautiful part of the world, live a good family life. You're not going field all the time, back and forth, and you get to do all the old school Vietnam tracking and an amazing tr- training facility in the Glasshouse Mountains in a place called Canungra. An awesome place. And I thought that would be really good for me to develop my infantry skills because I love being front, right? And the, the, the allure of jumping out of airplanes and getting my free fall quals and that, because I was already qualified, I already had my, my wings. And if you go down to the parachute school, you get all your MFF quals and you do free fall and you support the instructors and then you get, end up on a path there to be a jump master and ultimately an instructor. And all right, I'll go to the parachute school, I said, because there's no infantry stuff there. All it is is fun stuff all day, every day. Um, you know, it's crazy. Never, I want to go to that. Yeah, the, the, very, the very first time, the very first jump, they're like, righto, tandem's up, let's go, you're up. And the fir- very first jump I did was actually with, a, uh, with an American Marine jump master. Uh, and mm. he was a little fella. They, so they were just in Australia doing some training and they were down the, down the school, get, you know, keeping current, all that sort of stuff. Um, and he was probably about five foot, five foot five. He's a little fella. He would have been, I don't know, maybe 70 kilos. And I'm like six foot and about a hundred kilos. And he was sitting in the Hercules and I go and sit on his lap, you know, and it's like sitting on my kid's lap and he clips me <laughs> in. And, you know, it clips me in on his shoulders and then around his waist. He's like, all right, when we get to the door, I'm going to tell you to, or when we get to the ramp, I'm going to tell you to lift your legs up. I'm going to take your weight, settle into that. And I'm just going to kind of lean forward out of the airplane and we're going to do a forward roll out of the Hercules. So we get, walk right to the very edge of the door. And I remember this as, as clear as day. And he goes, a bit closer, Rob, a bit closer. And he's kind of like shuffling me with his shoulders and like, and he's hit closer, closer, come on, come on, closer. And the green light's on, you know, we've got to go. And I, I remember standing there thinking, why did I come to the parachute school? And <laughs> ready, he put his hand on my forehead, put my head back like that. And he goes, sit down, ready, go. And we dived out like that. And I think we did about five rolls in the sky because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. And uh, I got on the ground and that's about all I can remember from that jump. And he kind of like high-fived me. I helped him pick up his gear and, walk in the shed and stuff. And I was just thinking, what just happened? <laughs> and it was one of those moments where I was really super excited by the course, super excited by the, I love the idea of it, but the reality of it was very different. And as I fast forwarded through my career there and getting all my qualifications and jumping, you're doing that at nighttime on foreign drop zones. You're doing that as teams. You're doing that like in dangerous environments where the weather, weather's a bit speculative. You can't see the ground. It's cloudy. It's like, God, what am I, what did I, I should have just went to the jungle warfare school. It would have been so much easier to learn how to track footprints and walk along. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Tell me about your experience of, of the first couple of days in, in your, in your martial arts course. You know, so the first day, and you know, what's so crazy is that I actually wanted to go to jump school and they told me that it was like, no, your, your job doesn't get to go. And I was like, all right, well, you know, that's fine then, you know, crush my dream. It's not a big deal. And the first time while I was in Martin, and once again, I was small, I was low on the totem pole. I was an E4. I was not supposed to be there. Everyone above me was E5 and above. And I, I remember being in there the first day we're in green and green. We don't even have our rank also. Nobody knows that I'm a corporal. And they say, all right, well, everyone introduce themselves. And I'm like, dang, this is it. They're about to find out. And I hear sergeant, 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 sergeant. And it gets to me. And I stand up, I take a deep breath, and I'm like, Corporal Thickpen. 
And then everyone looks over at me like, what is he doing? <laughs> I'm going to beat this guy down. <laughs> oh, that's you know, and I was getting those looks and I was Worst thinking to myself, my like mind. <laughs> I was like, wow, you know, I, I never thought that, you know, I would have a, you know, a prison experience because everybody was looking at me like, oh, there he is. There he is. And, you know, and, it, and it's worse to be, you know, that low man on the pole at courses like that, because yeah. when the cleanup time, when it's time to clean up, you know, your name's getting called. Yeah. When this has to get moved, you know, you're, you know, so I remember feeling like I had to prove myself that I couldn't, I couldn't be the one in the back. I had to be up front. I had to, I had to carry my own weight because in reality, I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there and I had to be more intense than everyone. So when we were time to spar and I remember those first couple of days when they finally let us spar, I remember that I was like, oh, I'm gonna let everyone know that I am not just a corporal here. I'm supposed to be here. In reality, it was crazy. I, I had I told everybody I didn't want to go. But when I got there, I told I said to myself, I was like, you're here now. And you're gonna come back with me. And and what about the the training? Because for the for the ladies and gentlemen that are listening, the martial arts that you do in the military, and, and I've done some in in the Australian army, we call it unarmed combat. Or when it back in the day, I don't know what it's called these days, but back in my time, that's what it was called. And it's quite different to uh, what you would do at a, a jiu-jitsu class or at a hapkido class or a Krav Maga class. It's the same, all the same things happen in there and the same types of warm-ups and activities and drills, but you're not learning how to fight as in sport-type fighting. Unarmed combat by its very nature is a step further than that, right? Absolutely. You know, and I love the fact that you said that you're not learning how to fight in the manner of a sport. And for my side, it's, it's McMap, Marine Corps Martial Arts Program. And McMap was developed from multiple martial arts, Krav Maga, Jiu Jitsu, boxing, wrestling. And they took bits and pieces from each art, each discipline, and they combined it into that. Now, when, you know, when we talk about combatives, just like what you mentioned, this isn't a sport. Mm. This, if you have to utilize combatives in a war zone, you need to understand it. The, you know, and I don't know if we could cuss, but the shit hit the fan. <laughs> you know, there, <laughs> there's no rounds in the chamber and it's you or them. And I always tell everybody, I prefer that in that type of situation because we always have first place, second place, third place. There ain't no such thing as that. Mm. See, you need to understand that it's either you live or you die. It's no, I lost, let me try again. No, they came at you with a certain type of aggression and you need to be able to meet it with a certain type of aggression. And if you are not fluid with it, I can assure you somebody else is going home and it just won't be you. Mm. And when we talk about combatives, this is scenario based. And a lot of people misconstrued it because we learn a technique and we say to ourselves, oh, this technique didn't work. You need to understand scenario based, scenarios change. So you need to be fluid with each technique. Mm. How do you, there must've been a whole lot of lessons learned after all the war and combat experience that all of us have had in the last 20 years were those lessons learned adapted through the course and when they're teaching you are they saying to you well this is based on some scenarios that really have happened and these are the like is it real world training it's not theoretical right it's real world absolutely absolutely so we always come into that situation with that combat mindset you know and it, it's not a it's not this isn't a sport you need to be training in that type of situation and they always encompass these different type of warrior scenario, these warrior bases or these war scenarios. And they put us in those, I remember one of the training events where we actually had to clear houses in a manner of like, here's your, here's your wooden rifle. 
You're gonna go in there, somebody's gonna grab it, you're gonna execute a bus stroke, you're gonna execute a thrust, you're gonna get there and you're gonna go to the next room. The real real world, and had those things happened for real? Those have, yes. They yes. Have. There's a couple of warrior case studies where you know you would hear a Marine where he actually had to utilize a butt stroke in a combat environment because as he was coming around, the person grabbed the grabbed the muzzle of the gun and boom, he hit him right there. Yeah, interesting. I remember when I was doing my unarmed combat course, it was uh, uh, just before the Olympics were here in Sydney in the year 2000. And I'm kind of showing my age a little bit here. And uh, they, they brought us along. And some of the things that they were training us to do were vehicle checkpoints. And prior to that, we'd been in Timor and we'd done a whole lot of vehicle checkpoints and done that. It's very different um, to what it is these days because no one's driving at you with a car bomb trying to blow you up type thing right but i remember they had they, they set up the obstacle so the car would have to snake in and to do that and remember this is like in a civilian environment we're dealing with civilians and we're all tooled up with all of our equipment and some of the instructors you know they would show us how you reach in the car put the car into park and unclip the person's belt and you're doing it all in sort of like one motion and you're kind of pulling them out of the car at the mm-hmm. same time and it, it's a lot of fun when you learn those those techniques and to do those things. So for all the, all, all the punching on and all the kicking and hitting and, and you wearing a few like that, it can be a hell of a lot of fun to learn those skills as well. Right? Absolutely. And you know, I remember one of our events, they told us go ahead and get in full kit. So we had our flag, we had mags, we had mm-hmm. a rifle, they gave us the Kevlar. And I remember they took us to um, a LZ and I was like, why are we at the LZ? They was like, go ahead and set up security. And I was like, okay, I mean, I mean, this isn't my first time doing this, all right. And the plane, the bird comes in. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I know we're not about to get on this plane. I know <laughs> we're not about to get on this plane. And next thing you know, they come out of nowhere and they give us the mission statement and let us know what the situation is and where you're gonna have to go. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I know we're not about to get on this plane. <laughs> and sure enough, they were like, file it in. And we get on the bird. And I remember sitting there and no one said anything to us. And I'm watching, I'm like this, I'm like, I, I, why are we in this plane? What's about to happen? What's about to happen? And I started looking at the instructors and I see them start to buckle their seatbelts and tighten them down. And I don't think nobody else saw that. And I took my seatbelt and I buckled it and started tightening it down. And sure enough, that bird, all I saw, I felt it just go down. And I was just like, oh my God, we're dying today. And we got out. We got out, they set up security. Next thing you know, we're in the water. I'm talking about like, you ever seen one of those Vietnam videos and you got the Marines and they're holding up the rifles above yeah. their heads because the water is like right here. Yeah, yeah. That, that, was the, those were some scenarios I was in. Yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of fun to do that. How, how long was the course? Like a couple of months of a course? Uh, two months, two and a half months, seven weeks. When, when did you start to find your feet? Were like at the end of the first couple of weeks or were, were you a long way in it before you realized you're actually pretty good at it? Um, I would say about week two, because I had prior to that, because I was so young in the program coming into it, I was everything was still fresh for me. Mm-hmm. I had just became a martial arts instructor. So the lessons that they had taught me at the three-week course were still fresh for me. I'm still utilizing those. And then they're going to reiterate that when you go to the advanced level. So it wasn't a learning curve for me. But for others, oh, it was. It really oh, hard. It definitely, it definitely was. Yeah, yeah. That's a good thing about the military and being on a course is you can look around and you go, man, that guy is really doing it a lot harder than me. I'm okay. 
<laughs> you know, and I, and I used to sit back and especially during like the free sparring, I would sit there and, you know, you gauge, you get a chance to gauge yourself. And that's one thing I love about it is because in that type of environment, you actually realize, because everybody's, you're always going to meet those guys that can run fast. You're always mm -hmm. going to meet those people that can swim or something of that nature that they will lean towards. Luckily for me, engagement, as far as physical fighting, is something that I excel in. So I, will be, I was able to gauge at who was at what level. Mm -hmm. And what about when you were a kid growing up? Did you get into fights? Were you into fighting in martial arts then or not really? Not, you know, fun fact is that I didn't fight a lot when I was younger. You know, let me rephrase that. As a child, I was, I was actually very timid. I was very shy. And from like my adolescent years, I was very shy, very timid. By the time I started playing like football, I don't know if it was just that organized sport and mm. the aggression that just started being pulled out of me that I started to become more aggressive. And I didn't start fighting really until I got older. And then once I got in the military, that's where it really all came out. And I started being inoculated into violence and just realizing that, wow, you really are like this. Like, this is something that you really <laughs> are like. There's every, everybody has it within them, right? It's just a question of how much of it comes out and how much you let come out. You know, and I always tell everybody that is the whole purpose of this is to inoculate you to violence. Yeah. Some of y'all haven't never been into a fight a day in y'all lives. Call me old fashioned, but I still utilize my hands to solve a lot of my problems. I don't want to use my words. I don't want to articulate my way out of the situation. <laughs> and, you know, we, we, we put them in those type of situations because you have to, you have to be able to unlock that. You do have to be able, especially if you're going to be in the military, it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows. You do need to understand at some point you are going to have to pull that violence out and it has to be controlled violence. We're not telling you to become a natural disaster. We're telling you to be a lot more precise. Yeah, it's beautifully, beautifully said. One of my favorite things about all of the courses, and now I can look back at my military career with rose colored glasses and be happy about all of it. A lot of the time it really sucked when I was going through it, of course. But when I look back at it now that I'm a long way past it, uh, one of the things that it really did, and every course that I did was always the same. They always, they always worked on your mindset. And, and got you in the right headspace to learn something, even though it might've been a struggle to learn that or wasn't a topic that you were really into. And they help you with overcoming adversity and challenge because it's hard to learn new skill sets and it builds resilience. So the mindset, adversity and resilience piece that military courses give to you without realizing it at the time, I was, I've taken that with me and I've carried that through my entire adult life and I, and I assume that's the same same for you in the u.s military as well absolutely absolutely and that was one thing that the martial arts program actually taught me a lot of and the three disciplines that are mental physical and character and the character piece you know we all know physical you know what a lot of people always lean toward like what the physical aspect of it is we know that the mental aspect of the knowledge base and everything of that nature but the thing about character character that's who you are when no one's looking that's who you really are. And they taught me so much in that type of manner of how to deal with failure, how to deal with fear, how to deal with fatigue, how to deal with adversity. Sometimes things aren't going to go your way. And it's not about how many times you fall. It's about what you do when you get up. Yeah, it's beautifully, beautifully said. There must have been some times on that course and throughout your training where somebody was on top of you, grinding on you hit you, hurt you, and you're kind of like, what's all this for? Why am I doing this? 
Did, did you ever? Oh, I had ever, those. You know, I have a little internal tantrum, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> you know, the first one was um, at the martial arts instructor course. And it was just me being inoculated into the program. And all the, those first, those three weeks, I always kept it to myself. I kept it to myself. But the last day during that final event, we already had done a 10 mile hike. We had been through X, Y, and Z obstacle course. We done trenched through the rivers and we done fought at every checkpoint. And I'm thinking to myself like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I, you know what? It, it was a fun ride, but I am not about to keep doing this. And as, as I was about to give up, I look up and we were right in front of the building. We were done. Mm. You know, and I was so mad at myself. I was like, you almost gave up at the very end. Mm. Mm. There's, a, there's an absolute life lesson in that, isn't there? When, you're, when the chips are down, just, just press on just a, a little bit more because you don't know sometimes that you're right, right there at the end. It's, and that's an in, it, it's very empowering to feel that. Absolutely, absolutely. And ever since then, you know, and I'm so glad that I felt that because, because I have felt that there's nothing that could ever really knock me down. And I don't say that out of a manner of arrogance or anything of that nature, but I have seen myself be broken and I have put those pieces back together to make me whole again and a lot better. So when I got to the advanced course and even outside of just the martial arts, anytime where I have dealt with an experience in life, yes, I absorbed those feelings. I have felt down, but then I've thought to myself, you also had your nose broken at one point. Mm. You've also been, you, you know, you've, you've faced some adversity before. This too will pass. Mm. The, one of the things I love the most about podcasting is I often, and, and my show is a lot like your show, you know, going all in and doing whatever it takes to succeed. Inevitably, I'm talking to somebody about adversity. I'm talking about the challenges that that person faced and how they do that. And, and some weeks I will record like, five or six shows, you know, to get a little bit of a, a body of work there, a bank and get them in the can. So I can just release them and I don't have to record constantly. And when you, I find when I do a, a week like that of lots and lots of recording and I hear all of these different stories and they're people from all different walks of life, I sometimes get to the end of my week and think, man, I've got to do something with my life because absolutely other people have gone and suffered all of these things and overcome all of these challenges. And for me, I think, yeah, my little world is my own little bubble and I've had adversity and these things as well, but compared to other people and, and how they handle it and how they handle it with grace and dignity and poise and, and whatnot, it kind of highlights to me how much further I've got to go. Absolutely, absolutely. And I always, that's one thing that I allow myself to be is, is, is essentially humble towards that because I, you know, and I always revert back to my past. You were poor at one point. You, you, you didn't have nobody at one point. It could always be worse. And mm -hmm. even in the situation I'm currently like, if I'm in garrison right now, yeah, we're staying late. But you also, there's some people right now that are currently deployed and they're not going home. And they're staying late is actually a lot later than you. So it can always be worse. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, mate, uh, fast forward here for me to the end of your course. You come back to the battalion, you're doing your thing, and then you start actually getting to use the skill set that you've just been trained to do. So you've been on a course to learn how to be an instructor to go and teach more people. That must have been really rewarding to finally get on the other side of that, achieve that, and then actually go and use it and, and share, share your knowledge. Oh, you know, I remember the day I came back. I remember that day. 
because, you know, and my Marines, and this is one thing that I always tell myself and I'm so proud of is that it's not my accomplishments. It's the things that I have done, the, the Marines that I have trained because they have so much, they have more faith in me than mm -hmm. I did. You know, they, they were like, come back, you know, come back with the tab, Corporal, come back with this, Corporal. So I remember showing up and nobody knew that I was back yet. I show up and I had my, because uh, we wear black and red, black, a black sweatshirt with red writing or a black shirt with red writing. Mm -hmm. And I got out the car and I had my black shirt on with my red writing and everybody just went crazy. They were like, you came back, you know, you came back. <laughs> my, my body was in the worst pain that it had ever been for those seven weeks but it just felt so good to just be able to one utilize the things that I had done to show everybody that yes you can go and you can be the low man on the totem pole and still excel with the top people and sometimes you just you know it, it just it showed everybody else around me that you can do it too this could be you as well mm. Yeah, beautifully said. What about teaching and seeing people have some light bulb moments? Because I guess martial arts and fighting and, and the type of training that you do is very, uh, sometimes people are arms and legs everywhere. They're really clumsy and clunky. And then when you see people get it, they're like, oh, I got it. That must be rewarding. It is. It definitely is. And, you know, I had a Marine and very shy, very timid. And I remember when she balled up a fist, she balled up a fist and I wish everybody could see it, but you know how you normally ball up a fist. She had tucked her thumb in her fist. And I was just like, if you hit somebody, <laughs> you're going to break your thumb. And I had her from, and we have tan belt, gray belt, green belt, brown belt, black belt. She came back each belt. And I'm not running like a, like a class where it's not going to be physically demanding. Each belt is a lot more demanding than the second one. And she kept coming back. And each time that she would come back, you can just see the evolution in her skill and how aggressive she was with each technique. And it was just amazing because I was like, oh my God, I remember when you were just like, you know, a pup and now you're a full grown wolf now. Like I'm a little bit concerned. Yeah, I love it. I love it. There's nothing better than being able to teach and to share like that. I've been very fortunate in my life to have had those experiences as well. And it's enormously gratifying to see other people's progress. And I love to celebrate their success as well. That's, that's a cool thing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I love seeing people succeed. What about when you uh, see people leaving these classes? Do you ever have a silent moment of reflection and look and go, I'm sending those killers out there. That's pretty cool. I did that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had a Marine and he was a junior Marine. And, you know, when you, you know, I always tell people is that we tend to spend a lot more time. And this is, I think this is why military personnel are so close mm. because we're with each other 10 to 12 hours a day. I know everything about you. I know who your mom is. I know who your dad is. I know your habits. I know your culture. I know everything about you. And I remember when he faced adversity because I faced adversity in my career at one point and it was the same type of adversity. And I remember seeing him come back to it. He went on the tan belt. He went on the gray belt. He went on the brown belt. He went on the black belt. And I remember taking my belt off because my belt, you know, on our belts, we have red, you know, red, red stripes. Absolutely. And I remember taking my belt off and handing it to him right before I left. And I told him, I was like, where you're going to wear this one day. And sure enough, I get a I get a picture and he's already become an instructor. And he says, one down, one more to go. I literally started crying. I literally started crying. 
Awesome, huh? Awesome, awesome. Who, who would think that in the job that you do in the Marines that it could be so unbelievably fulfilling, right? There's a job for everybody. There's something for everybody in the military like that. And I love, I love to hear those stories. And I'm so glad that you shared that with the audience because I know in my audience, I have a lot of young people and I'm a big advocate for joining the military because in, in my early years, and I guess like you, I, I traveled the world in the Navy with a pocket full of money and did so many incredible things. And I think it's just harder for kids these days to, uh, to hear that because there's so much choice and they want, don't want to go and do something hard. But a career in the military can be enormously fulfilling. Absolutely, absolutely. I feel like it was one of the best things that I had ever done because not only did it pull me out of Detroit, it, it showed me different, it, it took me to different countries, it took me to different states, it evolved me in a manner that I, it, and when I say evolved me, I'm talking about like mentally. Like I couldn't even, when I go back home, it just feels, I feel like a tourist because I don't even fit no more because of how much I have seen. Yeah. It's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Well, mate, I really appreciate you sharing your little insights into, uh, into the Marine Corps and uh, especially into the martial arts and sharing that goal in story. That's a, that's a really epic one, man. And, and well done and congratulations Absolutely. on what you've achieved there. Cause it sounds like it's been a long road and a lot of, a lot of hard work. So well done. Absolutely. Thank you so much, sir. Awesome, man. I want to move off the, the military and I want, to, I want you to tell me a little bit about your podcast because you've got some good stuff going on there. What's it called? Who's it for? Oh, Who listens? Oh, Extraordinary Thoughts for the Ordinary Mind, a podcast dedicated to helping you become a better version of yourself. And that's not saying that the version of yourself is something wrong with it, but who doesn't want to be something better? And we came up with the name because initially the name was Motivation for the Starving Soul. And I just felt like, I was like, all right, this is not chicken noodle soup. <laughs> you know, and I realized every single day, somebody goes through something, whether that's getting out of an abusive relationship, whether that's overcoming some form of adversity, whether that's finally executing on their passions and walking in their purpose. But we'll never say anything. We'll never talk about it because we feel like we're just ordinary. And we say that we're ordinary because we're not in the headlines. We don't, we're not on our social media. We're not nobody famous. So we'll never say anything. But the whole time, as you are about to close that chapter in your book, somebody else is about to open it. And let's just be frank here. A lot of extraordinary things came from ordinary people. And that's where the name Extraordinary Thoughts for the Ordinary Mind came from. Awesome. I love it. Have you always wanted to do some media and broadcast your opinions and your thoughts and interview people? No, <laughs> I never did. And, you know, and, and it's so crazy about that is because it was the military that actually did that. It brought that out of me. In that type of sense, it, I've been in the Marine Corps almost 10 years. I've been leading Marines, I'll say seven of the 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been a mentor. I've always been a coach. I've always been that type of person. And then being a martial arts instructor, I've gotten that opportunity to speak in front of people. And I had just gotten so good at just speaking in front of people and just telling my story, telling things that I had experienced. So one time a Marine came up to me and said, sorry, do you know what a podcast is? And I was like, a what? A pod what? He's like, you know, you know, I looked at it, I was like, a pod what? He's like, it's like being on a radio station. I was like, oh. And I'm very, one thing a lot of people, I, I'm very transparent about, I'm very insecure about my voice. I feel like my voice ain't what a, a man's supposed to sound like. <laughs> and, 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 you know, now, yeah, because it's raspy and I scream because, you know, now it has a little bit more grit to it. Mm. But initially, it used to be very high pitch. And people used to call my house when I was younger and think that I was my sister. 
<laughs> so I was not happy about my voice. So I didn't think that's that where I the complex comes from, from your damn sister. <laughs> that's, the, that's it right there. I think that's where all the aggression really comes from is the fact that I just felt like now I'm this. And here I am speaking on there. And I was very nervous on my first episode. I was very nervous. And I tried to sound like people in other podcasts. I tried to do things. And that's what we tend to misconstrued is that your passion was made for you. So mm-hmm. your passion ain't gonna be the same as somebody else's. And I remember getting on there and trying to sound like somebody else. And they said, oh man, that's not you. I came to listen to you. And I was like, all right, all right, all right. And I changed this name, made it into Extraordinary Thoughts with Ordinary Mind and released my first episode. And I just told them everything that was going on with me. I told them about my anxiety. I told them about my depression. I told them about my failures. I told them that all of this, I couldn't find peace. And the moment that I released that episode, the, 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 everything that came back was like, wow. Like, that's what I'm going through. That's what's going on in my life. That episode really spoke to me. And now here we are at episode 102, and I just nonstop with it, and I love it. Nice, nice. Do you do solo episodes as well as interviews and stuff? Absolutely, absolutely. So every Monday and Friday, we do a solo episode, and every Wednesday is an interview episode or a guest episode. And Fridays, we call it Wildcard Fridays. Nice. What's, what's your favorite type of solo to riff on? Do you prepare for that or is it just kind of fleeting thoughts that you have that you like to share with people? Because I know the solo episodes that I do, I like to do a bit of research and have a little bit of clout behind them before I actually go and do them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very sensitive to my environment. And when I say sensitive to my environment, I'm not sensitive in my environment. Mm. I'm just sensitive to my environment. So a lot of times, you can, you know, my topics are coming from things that I'm experiencing around me. And when I feel that topic within me, I want to do, I do my research. I get a little bit, you know, a little bit more information about it. And then I just let everything out. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Now, I'm interested to know about, because your, your show is very similar to mine and your demeanor and your background is almost very similar to mine as well. And, and there's a lot of synergies that we have going on there. I'm interested to know, how do you prepare for a podcast? If you were, if you knew that I was coming on to interview you to be on your show as a, as a guest, I mean, how would you prepare for that? You've done all the research. It's ready to go. It's 10 minutes prior to the interview kicking off. What are you doing? What's your state of mind? Oh, I, if you're coming, when you come on my show, I'm a media, I'm, I'm a fan of you. I want to know everything about you. I want to know about your social media. I want to know about this. If you have a podcast, I'm about to binge listen to all of your episodes. So that way I generate a idea of who you are, Mm -hmm. because I'm a strong believer in energy and energy does not lie. The audience can tell if the energy is off. Like right now, what everybody doesn't know is, is that me and Rob, I'm actually, I'm Rob in a different dimension. I'm yeah. just, I, I'm from an alternate <laughs> universe. That's what, that's why everything is just so similar is that yeah. we're, I, I'm just in an alternate dimension, you know, on a different earth. That's who I am. Yeah. But the energy, you know, the energy has to click. And one thing I try to do is bring on a lot more people that are military oriented because a lot of military people listen to my podcast. And let's just be frank here. It, you want to listen to somebody that you identify with. It has the exact same experiences that you do. And that's not saying that, oh, I can't listen to anybody else. I'm closed-minded. But I click more to hear you become this extraordinary person when you were just like me at one point. Mm-hmm. I, I, lo- I love podcasting and the evolution that a podcaster goes through. 
because you start with all of these insecurities that you have and, and you, you end up 20 episodes in, you're like, I don't care about my insecurities anymore. I'll just tell the world about all my problems, about all the things that are, that are wrong and all of those sorts of things. And over a period of time, I found my insecurities have completely gone away. And I, I was a little bit gun shy about sharing a whole bunch of things. But what I recognized was I just wasn't sharing them with the right person on the podcast. I wanted to share these things. I had a real hard time right at the very start getting anyone to talk about PTSD. Um, mm-hmm. So as an, ex, as an ex-member, as, as you would well know, that's a big thing. It's highlighted in the media all the time and everyone talks about it, but no one really wants to talk about it. And I came Absolutely. across a woman who ran some courses to help people in the, in the military and folks that have got out to overcome those challenges and she's doing incredible work and it was enormously empowering for me to kind of share a little bit of my story which I'd never shared before with anybody about that and there's a whole whole bunch of things that I've shared along the way that I kind of felt like were skeletons in my closet if I had skeletons I don't really have any skeletons but they're they're insecurities that you have as a person and as a podcaster that kind of goes away because you're asking people really intimate questions. You're asking them to, to bear all in the hardest times of their life. And they come on and, and share that with you. And you don't reciprocate that. That's kind of hard. And I felt like Absolutely. I've grown enormously as a person as a result of that. I'm, I'm wondering if you've had the same experience. I've cried three times in that episode before. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I say I that. Haven't, you know, I, I haven't that. got there. I haven't got there. But I felt like that. <laughs> you know, and... Uh, because we talk about different subjects that are stopping us from becoming a version of ourselves that we were destined to be. I couldn't, I didn't feel comfortable talking to everybody else about a subject of what they could be. If I wasn't going to talk about subjects of what were holding me back. Yeah. So one of the hard, the first hard episode was find your peace. And that was me telling people I have anxiety. I, I have depression. You know, I have these things at one point, you know, you found my wife found me, slumped over on the balcony drunk because of something that happened you know and it was it was I had to tell that I had to get that off my chest another episode and we did it last year and we're going to do it again this year and it was a father's day episode I talked about my father and I I named that episode become who you needed the most and I talked about how he wasn't there and what it did to me and how I am there for my kids my audience knows I have three kids and they know the failures that I felt as a parent when my son, who I watched through a phone, be born. And then a week later, I had to watch him get his spine tapped because something was going on and nobody knew. And I felt like just like my father in that episode because he wasn't around when I needed him. And now here I am, my wife, my kids, they don't, they need me, but I'm somewhere in some different country doing something that I don't, you know, and I, I told everybody that. I had a Marine uh, commit suicide back at an old unit and it hurt everybody. And it was a hard episode to do, but I did that episode because, and I did that episode in a different manner. I didn't talk about don't kill yourself. I wanted to tell you the story of what we feel after you do this. Mm. And I told him, I was like, I wondered if you, and I remember saying this line right here. I wonder if you felt like I was selfish. And I tell you, I wonder if you felt like I was selfish because I swore up and down that me and you were brothers. You know, I loved you in a manner that I never thought that I would love somebody else. And I told you all of my problems. Did I overbear you? Did I, t- did I overwhelm you with so many problems? And I couldn't see that the demons that you were fighting were starting to close in on you. And I remember releasing that episode. And one of my Marines, who was that Marine's roommate, called me crying. He called me crying. 
And he was like, he was like, sorry, you don't understand. That's everything that you said. That's how I feel right now. Mm. And I felt like if I don't do that, I'm not doing nobody a justice. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the really good things, the the word that I like in your title is ordinary. And because we all think that we're ordinary, but we're all actually pretty extraordinary in Absolutely. our own special, special ways. And just hearing you share those things and sharing the story of drinking too much because you're worried about something. I find when I share my insecurities on a podcast, and I don't do it all that often because I don't have that many really. But if it comes up, I'll, I'll share it. As you said, you know, I'm asking somebody else to do that. So I'll do the same as well. When I hear myself say it out aloud, it's like, not that bad. And then when somebody that I know says, hey, I, I heard you say that on your podcast the other day. And it was that it was like, what were you worried about all those years? What? It's like, it, it's funny how you, you make a mountain out of a molehill in your own mind or you're embarrassed about something or you're the insecure. What? I don't know what that is. And when, when you get it out and when you, when you talk about things, it's enormously gratifying and it's very, very empowering. And, and my daughter, she's 13 years old and, and she asks me all the time, you know, how was your day, dad? Did you have a good day? What have you been doing? Did you interview anybody? And we, we chat all the time, right? She's my little best mate. And sometimes I tell her about the people that I've interviewed and the stories that I tell. And the other day, she's sort of like, like you're the you're the best daddy ever in the whole world and i said oh why of course i am why why do you say why do you say that and the jury's still out right i don't know she's an adult and then we'll make that judgment but but she said you you just share dad you share everything and and you you let people know that it's okay to feel sad or to feel angry or to feel those things and you let people feel their way through those things. So what you're doing in your podcast is enormously important and, and well done to you. Absolutely. And you know, I love the fact that you brought up your daughter because my kids, uh, my oldest is uh, seven and my son, he's four. And they know I podcast. They see the microphones, they see me do the interviews and everything. And I've actually brought them in here and had them sit down with the headset on, pull the mics up to them and I let them shoot their own episode. Yeah, and we they're they're actually in the intro to to every episode, so you know you hear them in the background and we're talking and stuff like that. So I, I love the fact that you brought that up. Yeah, it's really important. And and my older kids, my two sons are a little bit older. One's nineteen, and the other one's seventeen. And uh, same, I, I share them all the time. And every now and then, my older says, "Hey, I heard you say this the other day," and it's kind of sparks a conversation with him because the relationships that I have with him now is quite different to the one that you have with your four-year-old son. You know, he's, he's a man, he's, he's an adult and the conversations that we have are, are quite different and I'm really enjoying him getting to know a different version of me without actually having to speak to me. Uh, cause he just, absolutely. He just listens to it. And I, I made fun of him the other day. I said, have you ever even listened to one of my podcasts, mate? And he goes, yeah, heaps. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh he, actually, he actually had. Which ones? Oh, uh, you know, the ones. Seriously, have you done that? You're not just saying that to make me feel. No, he goes, no, dad, I listen all the time and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. Because I lost my dad a few years ago. And he, he never, a little bit different to what the world that you and I live in. Because they grew up in a world without media, without computers and without phones and things like that. And the only real records that I've got of my old man are some of the letters that he's written. I don't even know where they are. They're somewhere here. And like when I was away in the military and then 
uh, the photos. But I don't really know what my dad's opinion was about, I don't know, Russia. I don't know, North Korea or the economy or the environment. I don't, I don't know what my dad's opinions were. And when I realized that soon after I'd lost my dad, I realized that every time I get a podcast down or a video down, I'm just leaving a little bit of myself in the world for my kids, my family, my grandkids. Because one day you'll be dead and gone. Nobody lives forever. But there's a record of you there and a record of your family and a record of your family history and stuff. And I, I like, I like you, I've got a couple, I've got a hundred something episodes uh, and there's probably about 50 episodes waiting to be produced. So there's a lot of content. There. There's a lot of talking and one day I'll be dead and gone and I'll discover it all and go, man, he was crazy. He genuinely. Was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love, I love the fact that you say that because I didn't, I, you know, I never realized it, but this is, we are recorded. We are becoming a part of history. Yeah. And I, I can't wait till I'm 20 years down the line and my kids pull up one of my episodes and they're like, dad, like, that's really how you felt at that moment. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know, and it's also crazy. So important. Oh, so important. Absolutely. And then, you know, what's so crazy is that my wife, I asked her, I was like, do you listen to my episodes? She's like, why do I need to listen to your episodes? I can hear you in the other room. <laughs> I can hear you yelling in the other room. <laughs> What are you getting so spun up about in front of that stupid microphone for? You know, and I've gotten a text message where she's like, it's two o'clock in the morning. You need to be quiet. <laughs> That's funny. Exactly the same thing. You are me in another dimension. That's freaky. <laughs> yeah, exactly the same thing. Yeah, from time to time, I have to do a podcast in Europe, which is the end of my day early um, at the start of their day type thing, you know, so it's 10 or 11 o'clock at night that I'm doing that. And I hear the door close behind me and I'm like, Oh, I must be keeping somebody awake there and doing that. Got to tone it back a bit as well. It's really cool. Mate, I, I wanted to, uh, to move off that podcast. And of course we're going to put all of the links to your website, your socials and the podcast in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, ladies and gentlemen, just have a little peek at your phone and you will see all of Mitch's links there. So you're not going to have to go digging around them for them on online or in Google or anything like that. Mate, I wanted to ask you, uh, in in the spirit of the new year, here we are halfway through January 2020. A lot happens in a year. A lot happens in a career, in a life, in a family, and things like that. If I had have met you a year ago, how would you have been different? Whoa, a year ago, uh, and I'm glad that you say that because we're getting to a year to the podcast. And mm -hmm. a year ago, I was just a marine. That was it. I had my goal, make it to 20 years, and we'll deal with that bridge as we got there. I, under, like if we would have pulled that first layer back, the bigger problems I had, my anxiety was through the roof. My depression was through the roof. I, I, I felt like I was giving so much, but I received nothing in return. And I was just like finding my footing in that situation. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't become a motivational speaker yet. That was like, I hadn't, I hadn't embarked on that journey yet. I hadn't launched a podcast yet. I, I was just dealing with problems and I was just compressing and burying and everything in that nature. My Marines would look at me and be like, so like everybody thought that I was like this super intense person, but in reality, my anxiety was just through the roof that I'm just being overstimulated. And I was, oh God, I was a mess. I was a mess a year ago. <laughs> I was just a mess. It's, a, it's amazing how far you can come as a, as a person and as a human and your character in just 12 months. And, and it's just a matter of 
pivoting and deciding to go all in on something and to make a change and to do those things. And, and I see pictures of you on your website. You're talking to kids, you're talking to sports teams, you're talking to companies, you're doing all sorts of incredible things in the world and, and doing that. What's your favorite part of getting up and doing some public speaking? What do you like about that? Uh, favorite part is, um, is when it can see the light turning on and everybody else through their eyes, you can actually see it. And I remember my very first event and I was nervous. I'm not even going to lie to you. I was very nervous because I'm, I'm used to speaking in front of rings. You know, you know, it better than me. Military members know our language. They know exactly, you know, you, you can look over at somebody and say, hey, wake up before I wake you up. <laughs> you know, you can do, you know what I mean? And I'm here, I am speaking at this college and I'm thinking to myself like, oh God, you know, like, what am I supposed to say? Will my words connect? What am I supposed to do? And I'm sitting on this panel with all these prestige gentlemen. I'm talking about doctors, lawyers. These people went to college. I dropped out of college. And... I'm this regular Marine, and I remember getting out there, and I spoke. And when I spoke, this teacher, you know, you would have thought we was at church the way that she was just like, just like, keep going. And I'm like this, I promise you, I will. And you could just see the teachers, the light bulbs are turning on. You can see the students, the light bulbs are turning on. And my words are connecting. It was as if, like, I was just like those old school people that used to plug in those little things and everything like that. With the, like, it was, it was like that. And then they came up to me and they just said, like, everything that you said, like, was just so powerful. And I just, I appreciate everything. And that was just like my favorite moment right there, to know that my words connected. It's beautiful. It's very, very, very empowering uh, to experience those things. And uh, that they're the things that cause you to pivot in your life, right? To away from all of the negativity that you have and moving more towards a more positive future, a more enriched and enlightened future, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, beautifully said, mate. That's really, really good, mate. As we're bumping up against an hour here, I want to just say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights and going deep with me here as well. I really, really do appreciate that. Always, always. I'm blessed to be here. Awesome, man. I, I can't let you go before putting you in the go all in podcasters hot seat. Here we go. Oh, it's wow, something a little bit random. It's not really related to what we're talking about, kind of. <laughs> I, I always like to to ask people a couple of quick questions towards the end of the show. And um, I love to travel. One of my favorite things to do is to travel with my family and stuff. And I always like to ask people from places that I've never been, what's your favorite holiday destination? Oh, my favorite holiday destination. I would definitely say state-wise, it would be, I want to I go back to Michigan for the for like Christmas or something of that nature because it snows there and I really want to give my kids who were born and raised in California who have <laughs> never experienced what real snow is that opportunity to actually get a snowball hit in the face <laughs> not a white Christmas just a snowball no. in the face. bring them out there and just line them all up <laughs> Merry Christmas <laughs> that's it right there I love it. I love it. Tell me, mate, what's a, what's a skill that you have not yet mastered? Oh, patience. Patience is not my virtue. I am not known for my patience. And it's a I can have patience for things I want, but I am not known for patience. Like people come up to me and they're like, oh, doing all like, uh, 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 today let's do, I'm a now type of person. Like today I had a Marine and I not one of my proudest moments. I had, I had, I was already in a rush. 
There was some rumbling going on in my stomach. I had to go to a bathroom. All right. I had already made it clear that I'm going to be in the laboratory for a couple of minutes. Don't mind. Don't mind me. He comes up to me. He says, Sergeant, I need to brief you. Now, the issue is that he has a real bad stutter. And he comes up to me and he starts briefing me. And here comes this stutter. And he's uh, 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 and I'm like, I don't have time for you to figure out what's your next word going to be. I'll be back. And I was just like, wow, you got to stop being like that. You know, I, I think I'd have to agree with you that patience was definitely not one of my stronger virtues as a younger man. But when I left the military, I, I discovered it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I discovered that all good things take time and all good things that are worthwhile are worth waiting for. And it, it definitely comes because I think in the military, you just have that innate sense of urgency about absolutely always that sense of urgency be here do this and then stop and wait for four hours you know hurry up and wait we've all experienced that oh god oh god and i think that's really what it is because becoming a podcaster really taught me patience because there were so Mm. many things hindsight will make you a genius and there's so many things i sit back and i think to myself like dang i really wish i would have waited before i did this i wish i would have waited before i did this instead of just jumping in all right so last question for the podcaster's hot seat What's the, uh, Mitch, what's the best piece of business advice that you've been, ever been given, mate? Trust the process. Trust the process. Don't rush the process. Enjoy the process. Trust the process. A lot of my failures came from the fact that I wanted it now instead of allowing it to grow the way that it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. And somebody, you know, I remember it finally clicking. And, you know, I was looking at my youngest when it clicked, too. And, you know, she's one years old going on two. And I was thinking to myself, like, we weren't birthed adults. And that's exactly how your passions are. They weren't birthed fully grown. Mm. You know, it starts off just like a child. You have to nurture it. You have to feed it. You have to allow it to grow the same way, the exact same way that you pour into the hobby, that you fine tune your craft, that you you don't cut those corners. And then soon that child becomes an adult. That hobby becomes a primary source of income. And now what you, what you love is something that you can do forever. And that's one thing that I would tell everyone. It's just trust the process. It's going to suck. And you've heard it just like I've heard it before. Embrace the suck. It's supposed to suck. <laughs> it's not supposed to be easy. It's, you know, that, that, that hard part is the fine tuning. It's, it's the crafting of your character. You might not have the maturity to be able to possess it at its full form yet. So the process is allowing you to grow. You may not have the financial source to be able to utilize it to its capacity because you can't finance it the way that you want. The process allow it to grow. You may not have the focus to be able to hone in on it the way that you allow the process to go. Stop trying to treat success as if it's a hot pocket. You pop it in the microwave, two minutes is done. You got a home-cooked meal and you better sit there for those four hours as it gets prepared. Yeah, beautifully said. Trust in the process. I love it. I love it a lot. Well, Mitch, if people wanted to connect with you, mate, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, oh, follow me on Instagram at OMG. It's Meech. Once again, that is OMG. It's Meech. Meech is spelled M-E-E-C-H. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, Extraordinary Thoughts for the Ordinary Mind. And last but not least, don't forget to go on Instagram and, and subscribe to the podcast, Instagram page, extraordinary.podcaster. 
Too easy. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for those links, just take a little peek at your phone and right there in the show notes are going to be the links to Meech's Insta, to his website as well, and to the podcasting Instagram. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll on down and the links are right there in the show notes as well. Well, thank you again, mate, for coming on the show. Thank you for your service and your continued service there in the United States Marine Corps. Hurrah. I love that, mate. That's so, that's so awesome, man. Have you got a parting comment for us? What are you going to leave us with? Come on, some words of wisdom. Stop being great and be extraordinary. And I'll tell you, stop being great and be extraordinary because, yeah, everybody wants to be good. And when you add a little passion to being good, you can end up being great. But I can assure you right now, if you fine-tune it, you craft it, you love it more than you think you do, you can turn great into extraordinary. Beautifully said, mate. Thanks for coming on the Go All In podcast. We really appreciate it, mate. And we look forward to speaking with you soon. It's bye for now. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to connect with Demetrius, just take a peek at your phone and all of the links to his website and his socials are right there. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll on down and all of the details are right there in the show notes as well. Now, if you've got a message or some feedback for the show, you could reach out via the Go All In socials or you can send me an email at any time. Just visit goallin.com.au to find out more. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get to it, and go all in. I'll see you next time. Because you and I, we lost our sight. It's all about give and take.